Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View, the first post-football episode of the new year, unfortunately. Uh, All good things must come to an end, but not this podcast. We're still going. So, basketball had uh, the NBA had their All-Star weekend and the All-Star game. It is the first time in probably like 10 years that I didn't watch the NBA All-Star game. I always watch it. I always enjoy it because they usually play pretty hard. Um, I know it was more or less the same kind of stuff as this year. All-Star weekend, though, I was at work that Saturday and watching it on some of the TVs. It's just so horrible. Like, everyone's in on the joke. The All-Star Weekend needs a major tune-up, right? Specifically, the dunk contest, because holy crap, it is... It's so boring. Like, it's not even fun to watch anymore, man. It really is just horrible. Uh, And let's start there, because... Saturday night, the skills competition was kind of different. I know they've tried to revamp that in recent years. There was a year, believe it or not, D-Wade, Kobe, and LeBron were all, they were just all in the skills challenge, which is so wild because now you have, you know, they expanded it so big men could participate and uh, they, they try to make it, you know, as inclusive as possible, whereas previously it used to be just guards. And uh, maybe some forwards can participate in it, but not really any big men. So they had different rounds where uh, it was three teams of three. And they had to go up against each other and score as many points as possible by... They had a, you know, like a 35, 40-foot three-pointer. They had top-of-the-key three-pointer, corner three-pointer, and then an elbow jump shot. And everyone, each different location was different a different amount of points if you made the shot from there. That was the first round. And then after that, I believe the second round was like the traditional fastest time wins obstacle course. Or no, the second round was everyone, all three players are shooting into three different moving targets that are all worth different points. Um and then the final round was uh, the traditional skills challenge round where it was like fastest time wins. You got to dribble through an obstacle course, make a pass, and then make a shot. That's that. Um, It's fine. The skills challenge, like I said, is it's cute. They definitely got more uh, adventurous with it. But the slam dunk contest can't be saved. Uh, the three, it should be, the three-point contest should be the, uh, the, the challenge that finishes off Saturday night because it's more, at this point, it's more intense, um, and you get to see these guys just go head-to-head with each other in something that a lot of people can do now, which is shoot the basketball, you right? You used to see the big stars used to uh, participate in the slam dunk contest. And then the three point shootout was like 
you know, specialty guys who they were three point specialists. Now there's really no such thing as a three point specialist. Now it's like it's a prerequisite that you have to be able to shoot the basketball if you want to if you want to succeed in the NBA. So this year, the three point contest, the winner is the first big man ever, Carl Anthony Towns, which was awesome to see. Like he caught fire. He started hitting his shots and it's, it's really, it is really enjoyable to see some of these guys who are really good at shooting three pointers get hot. Cause you're just like, let's see how many in a row that he makes. I think Carl Anthony Towns at one point made like 10 or 11 shots in a row, um, in his final round, I believe. So it, it was entertaining and to have Carl Anthony Towns win it, um, he was wearing a chain around his neck, which is usually against the rules with the NBA. They don't want you to... Some guys wear like Duncan and wearing their uh, like earrings and stuff, but they don't want anything around the neck because uh, people do get grabbed around the neck and, and the jerseys and stuff during basketball games sometimes. Um, but for the three-point contest, the NBA allowed Carl Anthony Towns to wear his mother's chain around his neck. And, of course, he ended up winning the competition, which, depending on how you look at it, could be a, a sign of faith and stuff like that, which is nice. It was a nice moment for Carl Anthony Towns. Of course, being the first three-point shooter to be a, a center is very cool. And um, ideally, we'll see some more centers. We'll just see the league's best shooters compete in year in and year out rather than uh, specialty guys. That's where the dunk contest comes in now. Because the dunk contest now is like guys who aren't all-stars coming in to try and, and put on a show on All-Star Weekend. My biggest problem with the dunk contest is how many attempts you're allowed to get until you make a dunk. Jalen Green had like, he jumped like nine or ten times in the first round before he finally converted a dunk. First of all, it gets embarrassing. Second of all, even when you end up making a dunk that you tried two, three, four times, even after you make it, it doesn't have the same effect, right? You need guys that could jump out of the building and are creative and have proper body control to pull off some of these crazy ass dunks. And some guys get a little too ambitious. Some guys are not ambitious enough. Other guys just simply not like they it's just not cool to watch them dunk like Jalen Green he was my pick going into the slam dunk contest and I just said he completely disappointed um again took him like nine times nine tries to finally convert his first dunk so you should have three attempts and that's it you get a zero if you don't complete them in three attempts I think that's how it used to be like the 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 fact that if you didn't convert your first dunk, then it was like, okay, on to plan B. And if you didn't complete the second dunk, then it was like, okay, you have to go with a super safe option to even have a chance to move on to the next round. So it's like super annoying when you're getting pretty much unlimited chances to try and convert a dunk. And when it's the first round, all the air gets sucked out of the building. The crowd's not into it anymore. and you have guys who, Cole Anthony had a cute first dunk. He threw on a, a Knicks jersey and a, a pair of Tims because he's from New York. Um, I thought that was interesting. Then he threw on a Knicks jersey. It wasn't even like 
his he threw on his father's jersey or anything. It was a Knicks jersey with the number 50 and the name Anthony on the back. So pretty interesting. Um, and then he threw on a pair of Tims and just I don't remember who was holding the basketball for him, but he jumped past him, picked up the ball, did a windmill, and slammed it, which he does he gets points for the props and everything, the jersey swap, and then he puts on the Tims, which is like that's not super easy to do to dunk a basketball in Tim's and Cole Anthony's only like six three. So the fact that he threw on a pair of Tim's and was able to get up and dunk and do like a windmill like that, pretty impressive. Um Obi Toppin, he's got ups and he can dunk and he did end up winning the slam dunk contest. But uh I don't know. Just like something not that satisfying. Maybe it's because he's too tall. He's like six nine. You know, usually guys, bigger guys like that, it's hard to really enjoy them watching them dunk the basketball. Dwight Howard was really enjoyable to see him in the dunk contest. He was cool. Uh, but usually big men don't fare well in dunk contests, ironically. What are some things that the NBA can do to spice up the dunk contest? Um, number one, and I think is the most obvious choice, but something that is probably the least likely to happen, is you bring in amateurs to be in the dunk contest. So there are a ton of viral professional dunkers that have been around for a few years, individuals that you will know if you are, you know, a lover of basketball and you're on YouTube and and TikTok and stuff. I'm sure you've seen a bunch of these guys dunk before, specifically on YouTube and like mixtapes and stuff like that. Jordan Kilgannon, he's the guy, he like revolutionized being a professional dunker. Um, he has come up with a ton of super popular dunks. He has his own dunk package in NBA 2K. Like, he has become as mainstream of an of a athlete as you can get from only dunking the basketball. So if you get like him and a couple of other guys that are professional dunkers, like they're super creative, they're able to do crazy passes to themselves and put the ball between their legs and around their back and behind their head. Crazy stuff. If you brought in a handful of those guys and had them compete in the slam dunk contest, that like you could pay them and then like that's the entertainment or you can have them go up against NBA players that also want to be in the dunk contest or it could be a mix of both like and they can all compete and it doesn't have to be team based it could just be individuals competing against each other just mix it up and get something in there because seeing rookies and then like a couple of role players in the NBA that outside of your team you won't be familiar with. Like if you're uh, a Timberwolves fan and you live in the mid Midwest in Minnesota and, and around that area, you're not really going to know who Obi Toppin is. You're not going to know what he's about. You're not going to, like you've probably made him, seen him play once or twice. So you're not really going to know this about this guy. And seeing role players like that and then rookies which are fine, or, you know, rookie sophomores, one or two year pros, come in and compete. That's fine. It's always nice to get 
some young and up and coming rookies and and stuff into the All Star game. I mean, into the slam dunk contest. But if you're not an All Star and that's all you're throwing at us, like it gets stale and it gets really boring. So I think the most obvious and quickest fix is to outsource and get some uh, professional dunkers in to compete against NBA players. Or you have to make it mandatory that if you're an, you have to be an all-star. I think it used to be that way. You had to have been an all-star in order to be in the slam dunk contest. I always felt like that was a rule growing up, but it might not have been. Um, Because it felt like for the longest time, only people in the actual all-star game were competing in the slam dunk contest. But that might be uh, some headcanon that isn't necessarily true. So you can do that. I mean, that's kind of forcing the issue a little bit. If you say, hey, you can't compete in the slam dunk contest unless you're an all-star. I think uh, guys who are in the all-star game might not totally uh, appreciate that, I guess. But that's because it's a player-run league, so if they don't want to do it, they shouldn't be forced to. I don't know. I I think it's it's a glaring problem because the dunk contest used to be like that and the home run derby used to be the two biggest, like, all-star events in the world. Like, those were global events that a lot of people looked forward to. And the Home Run Derby kind of got a kick in the ass over the recent years and, and really um, bumped it up a little bit. It gets, it's very entertaining now. They have a new format, and a lot more people can compete. And a lot of really high-end power sluggers compete in the Home Run Derby. Now, the dunk contest has been shit for a long time. It got revitalized in the mid-2010s a little bit for a couple, I think, what, two, three years with Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon competing against each other in the finals two years in a row, and I think Gordon did it a third year um, once without Levine. Like, that was awesome. Those dunk contests, it really felt like the dunk contest was back and it was going to be electric and something that people were looking forward to moving forward. And then it just wasn't. It went back after they stopped doing it. It went right back to, you know, younger guys or role players who don't, who are trying to make a name for themselves, come back in and, and compete. So it's upsetting. Um, because all-star weekend for the NBA was something that I always looked forward to every year. And now this was the first year where I was like, I don't really care about all-star weekend. And it was, it was a sad moment for me. It really was. Uh, some other sad news in the NBA outside of all-star weekend, Chris Paul fractured his, what was it? Fractured, fractured something, his thumb, his wrist. He's going to be out six to eight weeks for my Phoenix Suns, which is devastating. Uh, They are currently the best team in basketball, best record, number one in the West. You know how it goes. And Devin Booker's lighting it up. Um, I am predicting second team all NBA for Devin Booker this year. 
I think he more than deserves it. Uh, but now without Chris Paul, he's going to have to take some duties on of managing the offense a little bit more than he has been, and the offense will probably run more through him. They do have Alfred Payton now. Um, I don't know what's up with Campaign. I think Campaign has an injury, doesn't he? He also has a uh, a wrist sprain. So Chris Paul got a fracture in his right thumb out six to eight weeks. Campaign had a wrist sprain back in January, about a month ago. And they gave him two weeks to be reevaluated, um, starting to feel better, he says. So he's day-to-day, I would guess. Uh, we'll see how long it takes for him to get back after the All-Star break. But they do still have Campaign, who's nice. They got Alfred Payton, so they got a little bit more depth in the point guard position. So it's not going to be all on Devin Booker to be like the lead guard for the offense. Uh, He could still maintain his usual role, probably amped up a little bit more, but he'll still be able to play within his usual role and not have to revert back to being the point in the offense. So that's good for the Suns. Um, Six to eight weeks, obviously, for Chris Paul. Not ideal. Uh, Hell, what's what's six to eight weeks, man? That's all of March, and uh, partly through April. So ideally, it's on the shorter end, and he comes back like mid-April, late April. And if it goes into May, then uh, so be it. But he's out for the entirety of March, for sure. We'll see how the Suns adjust to the uh, Chris Paulus offense. They're up six and a half games right now on Golden State, so the West is kind of theirs to lose at this point, and I don't think they're going to... They're a very, very, very good team. Like, fundamentally, they're a strong team, and they could pick up the slack without Chris Paul. Are they title contenders without Chris Paul? They're a playoff team. I don't know if they're title... Real, real title contenders, but with Chris Paul, obviously, they are title contenders. Um... I would like to see them back in the finals this year. I think they have a very strong opportunity to get back into the finals. So all things, I hope all things go well for Phoenix because this injury could be devastating, of course. And it is, I think, his right thumb. So it is his shooting hand, which uh, you can't, if it was his off hand, maybe you, you, he comes back a little bit earlier than what the timetable suggests. But the fact that it's his shooting hand uh, that's going to be a very annoying problem. Uh, the MLB labor disputes are a complete disaster. Uh, officially, Major League Baseball announced that spring training will be pushed back from March um, to a, I guess, yet-to-be-determined date. That's the panic button right there. Um, considering that all the reports that have come out of these negotiations have been negative in terms of how much headway they get, it's like none, right? They're not making any sorts of significant movement to the point where it looks like the season's going to start on time. Cause right now it looks like that. It looks like the season's almost guaranteed to be delayed. Um, I don't know, man. It's very frustrating to look at. 
from an outside perspective. And, you know, unfortunately, the COVID debates were a pretty significant sign to this. It was a pretty good foreshadowing uh, to what we're experiencing now because when COVID hit and, I mean, it really hit right in the middle of uh, spring training. Spring training had just was like a couple weeks in and COVID hit. Everything had to get suspended. And to get things up and running again, um, the NBA did it rather quickly. And baseball seemed to have a ton of difficulties in terms of figuring out what was going to happen with the season. Uh, We missed half the season, so that wasn't good. But if those negotiations and how slow and, and tough they were, were any indi- they were a clear indication of what we're getting now. You could just look back on it and be like, yeah, well, we should have saw this coming. So both sides, the MLB and the MLBPA, it, it's just, it's, they're, they're tough to negotiate with each other. Like they're not, neither one of them, like the MLB is asking for outrageous things and the MLBPA is not budging on any of it. And it's just, and the MLB is just vice versa, same shit backwards. So it's not, there's really no positives coming out of this. Like, it's just going to be like a wait and see. And ideally, if they're able to get a whole season in. I think, what was it, back in the early 2000s, like 04, 05, the NHL completely lost their season because of collecting, collective bargaining agreement negotiations. And uh, with the MLB back in 94, they lost their World Series. I think, I don't know how many games they played, if they played a full season or not. Um, but next quick check. Uh, they played till August of '94, and then the strike went on to April the next year. So they didn't play the World Series or the end of the season. That was a very weird circumstance. Um, but it was a labor strike, so it's not going to be the same as that. It's either I think that, I mean basically the MLB is going to play. I mean, I hopefully they play half a season. That would suck if we get the second shortened season in three years. That would be catastrophic to the sport, in my opinion. I know some people are like, well, if you want more people interested in baseball, you should make a shorter season. But that's not, that's not the way, right? Just because you make a season shorter doesn't mean people are going to suddenly start watching, you know? Um, but I, I hope there's not. I, I think that would be catastrophic. If uh, the MLB doesn't have a full season or if they have anything less than half a season, I mean, truthfully, if the MLB strike goes on to the point where they lose more than half the season, then there's just not going to be a season. I don't think they're going to play like 40 games or whatever and then try to have a playoff. Half or not at all. Ideally, a full season, but I feel like that's... um. Given the circumstances, that's, that's a bit optimistic. My favorite thing to talk about so far has been euphoria. Uh, as many people know, it is probably one of the single most popular TV shows out right now. Only two seasons, but I swear to God, everyone between the ages of like 15 and, tw- and 30 years old 
uh, is watching this show. It is awesome. It has captivated a huge audience, and it's HBO's like biggest success, right? It's their new staple hit TV show that people just can't get enough of. And the, the penultimate episode, journalists, you know, love saying the word penultimate whenever they can. Second to last episode of season two. There's only eight episodes, which is a part that I hate about HBO. Their originals are only eight episodes sometimes, which is really annoying. It used to be 10. I don't know what happened, but it, Euphoria is eight episodes. Um, the season finale is next week. And we got a bunch of shit that hit the fan in this past episode. Uh, Lexi puts on her play. And it's so interesting. I'm pretty sure the entire high school knows who all the characters are based off of. After, like, the play goes on for quite some time, I feel like it becomes very glaringly obvious. Uh, Maybe not in the beginning. But as it goes on, I think the entire audience becomes fully aware of the fact that these characters are based on people that go to their high school. Um, Because when the musical part, the the homoerotic musical that goes on with uh, Lexi's version of Nate, who's played by uh, Ethan, gets really mad at it. Nate is like seething in the crowd. And you could see there's one shot of, like, Cassie looking at him like, oh, God, is he going to, like, snap right now? And the rest of the girls be next to Cassie kind of, like, chuckling and looking at Nate Jacobs like, oh, my God, this is supposed to be him. This is so funny. And then I think people realize that, like, the sister is Cassie, obviously, and then who met. Like, they all look strikingly similar to the actual cast. Um, or I should say the cast of the play looks strikingly similar to the actual cast of Euphoria. So it's very obvious who's who and all that. And I, the crowd definitely picks up on that. Um, Lexi's mom says multiple times to people around her, like, that's supposed to be me. That's supposed to be me. Right. So everyone knows what's going on, which makes it so much more intense that all of this stuff's being aired out because essentially Lexi is showing everyone her life. Um, which is something that she's never done before. And she's awesome, of course. Fez being, I don't know, was Fez, the timing was a little weird in this. So were the events that were unfolding in Fez's apartment, all of that was happening before Lexi's play. Like the play was going on and Fez wasn't there and she sees that Fez isn't there and then the stage manager tells her, hey, your friend never picked up his ticket. So Fez never made it to the play, but when we keep cutting back to Fez and Ashtray and um, the guy and, and that schlep who's uh, working with the feds, when we cut back to his house, Fezco's house, he's like getting ready to go to the play. He's got like a college shirt on, he's got the blazer, he's got flowers. So he's ready to go out the door. So that was all taking place before the play had started. So by the time the play was start, was going in progress, whatever has happened to Fezco is, hap- is like already happening. And we're not going to see that until next episode. We're not going to see what happened to Fez and why was he late to the play. Um, that entire atmosphere 
obviously Fez knows something's off. Ashtray knows something's off. Um, like this dude's just sitting in their house smoking weed. Like he's being very sketchy with uh, whatever her name is, Cherry. Whatever I don't even know the girl with the big lips. She, she, he's being very sketchy with her because he already told her that he's working with the feds. Um, he very obviously plants a bug in Fez's house underneath like a tree, a little plant tree that he has. Plant, he puts the bug in there and then something's going on with his phone where he keeps it out on the table and the, and the camera was kind of fixated on the phone for a little bit. So that was kind of odd. Ash saw him and the girl talking. So he immediately is freaked out and goes to sit next to him with a box cutter knife hidden underneath his sweatshirt. And then Fez, as he's getting ready to leave, he's like, is everything good? Like, what's going on? So he knows something's off. He's a very good judge of, like, character and reading people's body language and their, their facial expressions and knowing when something is not right. You know, he always can tell when something is off, which is cool about Fez. Um, I do feel bad that he never went to the show. Obviously, that is a heartbreaking aspect of this episode because, like, He's so happy. He's got a great bouquet of flowers and the, he's all dappered up. We've never seen. Oh, and then he asks, Faye, that's her name. Oh, my God. Cherry, you know, her, her real name's Chloe Cherry. That's why I kept saying Cherry. Faye is her name in the show. My bad. But, um, yeah, he asks, Faye, do you think other people will think I look handsome? And I was like, oh, Fez, Fezco, you break my heart, bro. Uh, he's awesome, man. He is awesome. I feel like Fez and Lexi were definitely the highlight of this season. I'm hoping nothing bad happens to Fez in the season finale. I don't want him to get arrested. I don't want him to get shot at. Because at the end of season one, him and Ash were in some real deep shit with Mouse. And then season two opened up with Ash killing Mouse, which was not good, obviously. But yeah, the season finale seems odd because you have, they hinted at in the, in the preview, they hinted at uh, Cassie going berserk and uh, it seems like she charges the stage and, and makes a whole mess of the, during the play. So we have her, Maddie, Lexi, Rue, and... Uh, Cassie and Lexi's mom there as well. All of them are in this auditorium, in this play. Nate left. He stormed out after the locker room gay dance number. He stormed out. He told Cassie to get your shit out of my house. Uh, we're done. And then he walked away. And the episode ended with Cassie like breathing on the glass of the doors. And she looked pissed so it seems pretty clear that she's going to cause some type of problem when she goes back into that auditorium who knows if they if Lexi gets to finish her play or not but all of those characters are going to have to deal with something they're going to have to deal with that and that fallout and uh, all that goes with it who knows what Nate goes and 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 goes to do um Jules is also in the auditorium too I don't think I don't think she left so Nate left who knows where he went to? You're going to have the whole mess in the auditorium. Everything that goes on with Fez and Ash and Faye, that comes to a head. But the one story beat 
that hasn't really come back into the light at all is the fact that Jules Elliott, Elliott's gone too, by the way. I don't know where the hell he's at. But Jules Elliott and Rue's mom flushed her entire suitcase of $10,000 worth of drugs down the toilet. Uh, So those are all gone. And Rue, from during her uh, withdrawals, she went on a uh, house raid, a bunch of house raids, and stole $2,000 in total. She gave that to the woman. She's like, where are you going to come up? You don't look like the person who is uh, capable of coming up with $8,000 right now. So that is a whole thread left undone as of right now. Um, It might come back into the fold in episode eight and leave it as a cliffhanger going into season three. Who knows when the hell they're going to film season three. That's alarming. But also uh, to bring that in to be the cliffhanger would make sense. Um, But it hasn't, they only mentioned it twice, right? They mentioned it when Rue first did it and she got the suitcase and she pissed off Ollie. And then a couple episodes later, when she went to the house and gave the girl two grand, and then that, and then she saved uh, Rue from the withdrawals by giving her, I think, a little morphine. That was it. That, that's all you heard. And she, outside of the first time when Rue took the suitcase, when she threatened her to sell her to very bad people, that was the only threat she made. She didn't threaten her really in the house when she came and she was with, during the terrible withdrawals she was having. So I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, people come to the school or not, but it, everyone seems all hunky dory. Like it's not going to be a huge problem. Jules didn't mention it. Rue hasn't mentioned it. Rue's mom hasn't mentioned it. Like no one's mentioned the fact that like even Rue through narration hasn't mentioned the fact like, oh yeah. And I also owe that, uh, drug dealer $8,000 has not come back into play at all so far. So, uh, definitely a, a flag you know gotta watch out for that because that can come back into play any minute but the real main things here it seems like in the season finale are going to be in the auditorium at the play the same thing that we're in that was in this episode the auditorium with Lexi's play and Fez's house those need to be wrapped up I'm sure they'll fold in a couple other things to uh to get to going into season three but I, season three might be another like two years, honestly. But you, this this was uh, three years, wasn't it? I think Euphoria premiered in 2019, did it not? It might have been even longer than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, June 2019. So it's been three years, uh, two seasons, and two episode specials with Ruin Jewels. Uh, to have gotten us to this point might be another two years before they even start filming season three. It's it's tough. It's not going to be a yearly thing. Everyone in this show has a lot of work going on for them. Jacob Elordi's in a few things. I know Sydney Sweeney was in a bunch of stuff. Zendaya obviously became from the beginning of this show to now became one of the most in-demand actresses in all of Hollywood. So she's probably jam-packed for the next two years. 
it's scary. Because I know everyone's going to obviously want more. And like this show is so addicting. No pun intended. But it is. It really is. And I watched the show week by week when it first came out. And now I was the only one. None of my friends watched it. I think maybe one of my friends watched it. Now all my friends watch it. So it's something that uh, we all like talking about and we like watching and keeping up with. And it's become, I think, my little experience with my friends having them watched it kind of equates to the entire country now. Like, I feel there were a finite amount of people that I knew watched Euphoria. Now I feel like everyone watches it. If you aren't watching it, then you're kind of the odd man out. Regardless, I'm very excited for the season finale. Um, As for my other show, Attack on Titan, my anime guys, something's amiss. Guys and girls, I should say. Something is wrong because we're on episode 83 in total. I believe it is the 23rd episode of Attack on Titan Season 4, and they're aiming to have, I think there's only supposed to be another five episodes. So another five weeks. And personally, I don't think there's any shot in the world that this anime is able to wrap up the manga, because it's going pretty much beat for beat with the manga. Like, everything is as Isayama wrote it in his manga. Uh, They're not diverging from that path at all, and they never have. But they're going pretty slow, story-wise. Like, there's no way, with the amount that I know is left between where they are now and where they have to get to, there's just no way that five episodes can do it. There's just no feasible way they could wrap up the entire story in five episodes, which means that they're going to do an unprecedented run where it ends and then they're like, haha, season four, part three. And you have to wait. We have to wait a whole nother year to get the final like 10 episodes or whatever it would be uh, for Attack on Titan or which a lot of people are theorizing. Uh, They're going to end the season and then there's going to be like an hour and a half, two hour movie to cover the last part of Attack on Titan. I would hate that. I hope there's like some surprise where they end everything correctly, but it with what was announced and the pacing that this is going at, it just doesn't feel like they're going to be able to cover it all. I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. Uh, Like I said, which leads me and everyone else to believe that there's something waiting at the end of this. At the end of that final episode um, that pops that pops off uh, episode, you know, 26, 27, whatever it is of season four, there's going to be an announcement afterwards saying. Attack on Titan, the final season, the movie premiering, you know, March or whatever, December, winter 2022 or winter 2020 or spring 2023, whatever it is, it's going to be a whole nother long 
handful of months, uh, maybe even over a year wait to watch that. Or it's going to be like season four, part three, which would be totally ridiculous. I think a movie is definitely more likely than a part three. Because MAPPA, MAPPA's getting swamped right now. And, and having that demand on top of it is so much more. That studio is going to, uh, they're going to break soon. I don't know, man. They're doing a lot. So anyway, uh, that's what's going on with Attack on Titan, my little update. The last two episodes have been very much keeping up with the scouts, you know, and uh, slaying Titans, collateral damage from Eren activating the rumbling. We get... Uh, Jean kind of carried last episode. Annie comes out of her uh, her slumber. She gets unfrozen from her crystal and attacks Hitch, who then throws her over her shoulder. So Annie's back. Um, we still haven't seen Levi since episode one of part two. Um, it's not a spoiler, but he is obviously alive. If he wasn't alive, Hanji wouldn't have jumped into the river with his body. So he's alive. Still haven't seen him. And like I said, it's just gonna it's gonna be a lot to wrap up. Um, I don't think they do it in the amount of episodes that is that was announced. It's just not gonna happen. So we're waiting on that to see what the big surprise is gonna be at the end of all of this. Um, Euphoria finale next week. We'll recap that on the pod as well. Um, but for right now. We're going to wrap it up. We'll get into basketball. Of course, the first uh, episode of no football talk in any shape or form. It's All-Star Weekend, so there's no basketball to talk about right now either. Nothing has changed since really the last time I talked about it. But we'll get into it more and more next week. For right now, that'll do it for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all very much for listening. I appreciate you all. As always, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you next Wednesday.